people often ask me where they can attend a same-side selling immersion program, and usually I don't offer them publicly. But I do have them coming up on March 31st in Dallas. The one in Scottsdale for February 28th is already sold out, but March 31st in Dallas. So visit ianaltman.com for more details. I hope to see you there. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, we're joined again by Allison Whitmire. Allison was one of the most popular guests ever in season one, and I've asked her to come back again. Not only is Allison the CEO of Learning in Action, but she's a longtime executive coach for top performing senior executives. We're going to talk about this idea of empathy. We'll talk about why discussions and feedback tend to trigger adversarial responses and how we can use empathy to overcome that and different ways that we can cope with our own emotions and feedback under stress versus not stressed. I took just a copious amount of notes and I'll try and encapsulate it on the end. You're going to learn a ton from Allison Whitmire. Allison Whitmire, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Ian. Glad to be here. So I'm I'm thrilled to have you here because in today's world, we have so much tension um, just everywhere in the world, it seems. And I know that you spend a lot of time and your organization spends a lot of time with helping people communicate more effectively. And so what are some of the insights that you have into what causes that tension in conversations? Because I know that you have a great you have great success in getting people to be on the same side and take feedback really well, but that isn't people's natural tendency or it doesn't always work that way. So what what's part of the problem? So one of the key challenges uh, in any kind of genuine, authentic communication can be a lack of empathy. So if someone, so we communicate, no doubt, in many ways, we communicate with our words, you know, you've heard the whole, uh, how communication is broken down by language and uh, content and uh, how much is words and how much is your, is your body language. And we communicate with our energy, with our feelings, we communicate in a lot of ways. And some people can't read that information. You know, we, we think about uh, how someone is projecting their thinking, their plans, their intuition, how they're um, feeling, what they're wanting, what their intentions are. All of that is information. And it, and it turns out some people are not very good at being able to read that information and take it in and understand it. And they're not very good at connecting with the person in it. Yep. So, so I guess one of the, one of the questions I have is that sometimes you might be having a conversation with someone, and I'm thinking like in our current political climate, where they're they're raising an idea that you disagree with. Yeah. So, and many of our politicians will be very vocal with and very direct about, well, this person did this and that that was ridiculous and that was stupid or just taking a completely opposite position, which is probably the antithesis of empathy. And so what does that do to the other person? Well, for most pe- people, it's disconnecting, right? It's, it's a way of saying, I'm, I'm done with you. I don't care. Nothing you have to say is something that's important to me. 
And when I disconnect from somebody, I lose the access to the information that they have. Yep. And so, and I'm going to make a poor choice as a result because other people in any given context are going to have information that I don't have. And when I disconnect from them and have this really firm stance, then I lose access to that information. So in essence, if, if I'm, when I'm disconnecting, I'm showing no empathy whatsoever. So there's no validation of the other person's idea. So it's kind of like if in, in a business setting, let's, let's say bringing this to even a sales environment, someone says, oh, well, I'm considering this other vendor. If you're, if you're the person selling to them, you go, well, that's stupid. Then you've, you've <laughs> disengaged, you've disconnected. If you said, wow, I can, you know, I can understand why a lot of people work with them. What are some of the reasons for you? Then all of a sudden, it's like we're not invalidating their opinion. We're actually validating their opinion and saying, okay, I get that. So let's keep having an open discussion about why you're thinking that way. As opposed, uh, uh, as yeah. opposed to, you, you know, what was the, uh, um, the old Saturday Night Live stuff with Gilda Radner where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, she would say, you know, or no, with Jane Curtin. And Jane <laughs> Curtin would say something and then the response was always, Jane, you ignorant slut. And it was like, <laughs> and it, by the way, in, in a comedy setting, it was really funny. Yeah. But I think sometimes in today's world, people communicate like that in real life. It is true. We see it. We see it in a public in a public place, in the public marketplace, in the, um, in the newspapers. Yeah. So, yeah, we see it everywhere. And what that does is it disconnects those people from being able able to make a better, more informed choice. And they get to choose that, unfortunately. Yep. And, and, and I guess what we're – we're not saying that if someone says something that you totally disagree with or it doesn't make sense that you have to agree with them, are we? That's right. That, that's exactly right. And I think that's what – there are a lot of reasons why people – aren't empathetic. Either they don't have the capacity for empathy or they're not, they're choosing not to use that capacity. One of the reasons why I think people choose not to be empathetic is they, they feel like being empathetic would, would indicate they agree. Ah, okay. So give me an example of what it might sound like using a political position that's out there now is this idea of school choice. So someone says, uh-huh. well, I mean, I don't think there's any reason for us to have school choice. Yeah, and so if and if I just rail against that, and if if I kind of go, what do you mean you don't believe in school choice? Um, it's good for the country. It's good for our kids. And how can you not be, look here for our kids, right? But instead, if I go underneath, and this is why I love same side selling, is because I see it as empathy based. Instead, I go underneath. I'm like, what is the pain that they? The what is it that's wanting them to choose? Um, schools. I mean, what's yeah. underneath that desire and how can we work from there? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess the idea is if someone says, well, I don't think there's any reason to ever have school choice. So instead of saying, well, you're crazy, you, you might say, well, so the people who do want school choice, why do you think they want it? Yeah, exactly. And now all of a sudden the person says, well, I mean, I don't agree with this, but the reason they want it is X, Y, and Z. Okay. Well, do you think that's totally invalid? Right. Well, not in every community. Okay. So there may be some places 
where that would make sense. Now, once again, you and I aren't advocating for school choice. We're just using this as an example. But the idea is, and I was trying to pick something that might not be as polarizing as other topics. (laughs) There's so many. Um, Exactly, because there's so many in our political world. But I think that idea of first reaching out and, you know, Stephen Covey used to say, first seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that that's probably a pivotal part of this notion of empathy is first you have to understand where the other person's coming from before you can even consider having a position of how you're going to get them someplace else. That's right. And and just to take this down to a business setting, you've got someone in sales, in the sales department of a company, and they absolutely are certain that manufacturing needs to have 15 different versions of the same product they have to in order to get the sales and they can come up with all this kind of evidence as to why it's true and all of that is true for them and they have lots of data and they have lots of evidence and and they can kind of beat that drum and say that it's right it's right it's right and and they don't have if and if they take that approach they'll miss the information that's available from the head of manufacturing that says, do you know how much um, additional inefficiency there is, how much additional cost there is in having 15 different versions of this product? Do you know that we, we lose a, a certain degree of, of profit with every single version we have out there? So, like, and, and until we have an empathetic point of view for an, op- an opposing point of view, we're missing really valid information. And that's true in really every context, particularly in a business context. Yep. And, and it's interesting. It's, uh, I love how you give that example because oftentimes what someone will say to me is, well, the sales that say the reason they can't sell it is because they don't have this one feature. And the way I often facilitate that conversation, I say, okay, so you need that. So what happens if the client doesn't have that feature? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, they don't do this now. Okay, so if we gave them that feature, what other feature would they then feel they needed? Well, mm-hmm. then, then they would need this other one. Okay, so, so eventually, is it possible that we could just constantly be adding features and never sell anything? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I guess so. Okay, so what do you think we should do? Well, why don't we sell what we have? And then look and say, well, that's a great idea. I'm glad you came up with that. Well, that, what you want to say, what, you, what, what, the, what the, the CEO or the, the, the head of sales wants to say is, dude, sell what we have. And let's not worry about what we don't have. But if you just said that, then the other person probably feels like they haven't been heard. Yeah. What we what we don't spend enough time doing, and, and I'm sure that part of this is because we many of us feel bereft of time. Um, we we don't take the time to ask the question like, what makes that come up for you, or what's behind that. Or what's underneath your feeling that way, or you're you're recommending you're recommending that that way. Yep. And, and so, is it is it possible? Are there some people who don't even necessarily know what triggers them, and like when they you know when do they get to the point that they're confrontational and they're not empathetic? Are there people who just don't even have any self view whatsoever that that's going on? Yeah, so you're bringing up a couple of really interesting points. And one is that empathy under stress and empathy not under stress are two very, very different things. Yet some people are, many people, most of us, 
are much more empathetic when we're not in conflict with someone than we are when we're actually in conflict with them. So, so when we're in conflict, our uh, relationship patterns from the past tend to override what would normally be a really empathetic response. And so what can tend to happen is, one, we, when we're in a stressful situation with someone, our focus can turn inward. And when our focus turns inward, we're literally not able to see what's going on with the other person. We can't see what they feel and they think and they want because I'm turned inward uh, thinking about or, or you know, think, what do I do here? Or what did I do wrong? Or how can I fix this? Right? And, and so literally I lose my access to the other person. That's one of the reasons why people can be empathetic. So, so, so lose their sorry, lose their empathy under stress. So, so in essence, all of a sudden they get stressed out, and that stress triggers something else within them. They That's start right. thinking back to something in the past, or there's some other underlying issue that they may not even realize. And exactly. now, someone who, when they're not stressed, seems pretty affable and everyone gets along with, all of a sudden becomes this adversarial jerk, where he or she just seems to just, you know, all of a sudden put other people on the defensive, they get on the defensive, and everything reaches an impasse? That That's exactly right. And, and we don't really, most of us don't have consciousness as to what triggers us or why. I mean, we don't say, oh, you know, this looks a whole lot like a scenario that happened to me when I was six. You know, that we don't have that. It's just impressed in our, in our, in the neuron, in the, in the neural pathways in our brains, Right. And so it's there. And and whatever it is, whatever has triggered us, we're pretty sure we're right. (laughs) (laughs) So I love that. We're not conscious of it, but we're definitely right. (laughs) We're definitely. Yeah, we're not sure why. And, you know, and as you as you know, and one of the things we do at Learning in Action is we've had at this point over 17000 people take this assessment in which they're presented with a series of eight confrontational videos and what we've learned is that no no two of those 17,000 people have the exact same response wow right and so you think well why wouldn't that be why would that be you know i we all see the exact same set of videos and we're all presented with the exact same statements which we're asked to respond to and yet we respond differently like how is that possible and the way it's possible is that our path our pasts are different our neurology is different our genes are different our parenting was different and the meaning we made of all of our life experiences are different and all of that then creates the filter through which we see the world and through particularly through which we see interpersonal conflicts. And that's going to determine what triggers us. And, and oftentimes we don't know what triggers us or even that we actually are triggered. Yeah, so, so I guarantee yeah. you get people it's, – it's funny because I remember when I took the assessment, there's a couple things. One – I like to think I'm a pretty smart person, so most tools I feel like well, I can game the system and get the outcome that I want, and I didn't quite find there was a way to do that with your system, which was which I saw as a positive, but not initially. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> during, during mm-hmm. the process. Right. I'm like, how come I can't game the system? I don't know what direction, what I should be answering. I guess I'll have to answer honestly, which, <laughs> which was a great thing. But then also it gave me insights into things that I hadn't necessarily thought of that in some cases I thought, well, this is a really positive thing. And then I look at it, I'm like, yeah, for me, but not for the other person. The other person mm-hmm. wouldn't see this as positive and it helped create that awareness. So it, you know, and, and I imagine in organizations where you've got different people on a team, I mean, how many people on a team does it take to not have empathy to make yeah, the team right. dysfunctional? Right. And then it beca- can become finger pointing. Yeah. And my, by the way, my, my guess is that on a team, in order for the team to work effectively or not, all it takes is one person to not operate with empathy, one person to not have a perspective on how they trigger other people or are triggered that can derail an entire team. That's exactly true. That's exactly true. And, and sometimes all it takes is, as you're saying, one person to, to take the whole team out of, of harmony, out of high performance. And, and yeah. I'm guessing so if you're someone who's managing a team of people, if you're someone who is if, if 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 HR people are trying to get the most out of individuals and you might see it. But my guess is if the person who's triggered doesn't see it, then it probably doesn't matter um, at all. Like if, 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 they, if they don't see it themselves, then by you suggesting they have a challenge – they feel like you're not empathetic because you don't get them because they don't see it right. that way themselves. Right. It's always other people that are empathetic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the other thing that's hard about empathy is uh, we don't see ourselves not being empathetic. Yeah. I mean, literally, we can't see part of part of when we're not empathetic is because as as I, as we talked about, I'm pretty sure I'm right, and there is a real tension between rightness and empathy. Right. Because if I'm pretty sure I'm right, then there's no energy in me to actually be empathetic, which would mean caring what you think, feel and want. Because <laughs> I have no curiosity because I don't need to be curious about someone well, else's position. Because right. why would I be curious about a position that I know is wrong? That, 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 <laughs> exa- exactly. There's nothing there I need to learn. <laughs> there's there's nothing possibly of value on the other side. So I don't need to learn it. So so I guess the, the question becomes this. So if we know that empathy is the key to people not having these adversarial positions, if we know that empathy is the key to being understood, if we know that empathy is the key to people working effectively together, and candidly, I believe it's an essential part of sales, how do we fix that? How do, how yeah. do, we, how do mm-hmm. we help people become more aware so they can demonstrate empathy even if they think that they're right? Yeah. So so. This is where it starts. Empathy starts with yourself. And what I mean by that is when we are ragged, when we are rigid in our own life, when when we are running so hard in our day-to-day lives that we don't have any space for ourselves, then our emotional capacity isn't there to be empathetic with someone else. Like we're literally oftentimes just to get through our day, we don't even feel our own feelings, much less someone else's. Okay. So it, so it start it starts with yourself, your own self-awareness. Then what? 
It starts with your own self-awareness and, and not just self-awareness, it's filling your own joy bucket. Because one of the things that we've learned through 17,000 um, test subjects is that when people's own, we call it the joy bucket, when their joy bucket is low, they're not able to empathize with someone else. In other words, they're not doing the things they need to literally nurture and take care of themselves. So that that's step number one, nurture and take care of yourself. Now, by the okay. way, I, I imagine the people who don't have a lot of empathy may not always struggle to fill their own joy bucket because they may not be concerned about other people's joy, but just their own. But, you know, that, uh, interestingly, there there is a um, – a pattern of people, a, a section of people who are so concerned with how other people think, feel, and want that they attend to that to their own detriment. Oh, interesting. Right. And in fact, you know, there, there's a man who wrote a book, his name's Paul Bloom, called Against Empathy. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, he might have well has written a book called Kicking Puppies. <laughs> he, he, you know, I mean, who would be against empathy? But the, the point he is making is he makes several points, and, and there's some interesting points in his book. But one of them is that empathy is exhausting. Like, we, we should not uh, endeavor to connect with the, particularly the feelings of other people because it will take us down. Interesting. And that, and that just simply is categorically untrue. So Brene Brown, who, as you know, is a, a, a now quite well-known yep. vulnerability researcher, she's also done a great deal of research on empathy. And what her research finds is that the people with the greatest empathy, the greatest compassion, also have the best boundaries. Wow. And, and when, when we are taken down by the feelings of somebody else, when we're depleted by stepping into someone else's feelings with them, it's because of a lack of boundaries. Hmm. Okay, so so we know that, so the way we're going to fix this, we're going to start, because I want to get back and make sure that people have actionable stuff. So yeah, first, right. the empathy starts with, with, with yourself and making sure that you're filling your own joy bucket. Exactly. And then um, empathy is practiced. So we start by noticing and naming our own feelings when we have them. Some people get so out of touch with their own feelings that they can't name their own, much less someone else's. And when we can't notice and name and access our own feelings, we can't connect with them in there. So, for instance, if I don't feel my sadness, I can't be with you and yours. Interesting. Okay, cool. So empathy. So first, we're going to make sure we fill our own joy bucket. We're going to practice empathy by noticing and labeling our own feelings. Exactly. Then what? And, and then there's some some skills we can use um, around understanding the perspective of the other. So, and and what this requires is, frankly, a great deal, particularly when we're triggered, it requires a great deal of self regulation. We have to have the ability to, in the moment, when we're sure, absolutely sure we're right and we don't care what the other person says, we have to have a, uh, a mental reset button that we push that where we, we take, whether it's taking a deep breath or counting to 10 
or thinking of puppies, whatever it is, <laughs> something that's going to get us back into an open place where we can ask questions like we were talking about earlier. Tell me more about that. What's underneath that? What are you really wanting? What are you thinking? What are you actually feeling about that? Sometimes we ask questions so much of other people's experience isn't in what they say or the content. It's in what they're feeling and what they're thinking and what they're wanting. And an awful lot of what they're communicating is none of those three. And sometimes just asking those simple questions, tell me, how are you feeling about this? What do you actually want here? What's an ideal outcome? What are you wanting? And then um, what are you thinking that I can help, help me understand this? Yeah, that's uh, that's great. So, so obviously, so get, getting back, I just want to make sure that we got this for everybody. So, first, make sure you're filling your own joy bucket. Then, practice empathy by noticing and labeling your own feelings, and then understanding and being aware of the emotions of others and building those skills so that you know, okay, I'm under stress right now. I think this person's totally nuts. Take a breath, step back, and then let's ask those questions to probe deeper into what's going on in their head and heart. So how's this making you feel? What are you really trying to accomplish? What are we trying to get to? And you might still at a certain point be thinking this person's totally nuts, but it's important to first understand where they're coming from so you can have a meaningful conversation. And what I would say to people is, look, it's essential that you don't take your own preconceived idea and get married to it because then you're not open to anyone else's input. Right. Exactly. And then the next step is just communication, just a good communication. It's this is what I heard you say. And then the next is kind of validating that. Well, I can understand why you would think and feel and want that. And, and so that's the whole kind of step, 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 step through it. And then what, what interestingly happens during that cascade of events is the person doesn't feel the need to push against you anymore. They don't feel the need to resist whatever because they feel understood. They feel heard. They know they get your point of view. They don't need to push anymore. And then from there, you can make your point. Yep. And they're going to be much more open to it, and you're going to have much more free dialogue. Yeah. And, my, and my guess is if you make the point in the context of things that where you've got um, a shared viewpoint, that's going to work a whole lot better. I mean, I often talk about in, in our presidential politics where – and, you know, regardless of which political affiliation people have or which candidates they like, any time one party basically says the other people are idiots, mm-hmm. yeah, it's prob- that conversation probably isn't going to mm-hmm. end well. No. But That's instead right. if they said, well, gee, I can understand why this group advocates for that position. And if I, if I held the same beliefs as them, I'm sure I would feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And so I understand what they're trying to achieve. And so from that perspective, it makes perfect sense. It's totally logical. Here's a different perspective and why we feel this way. And my hope is that we can put our heads together and come up with something that makes us all feel pretty good about it. That, to me, is how people can actually reach consensus and move forward. But I think as soon as we start by saying, well, so you're an idiot. Now let me give you my viewpoint. (laughs) The other person is already shut down. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's not going to, it's not going to work. Uh-huh. But you know, I was just reflecting, uh, Ian on like uh, the applicability of, of, of the philosophy of same side selling just to life. I mean, cause you know, if, if the underpinning of same side selling is empathy, I mean, why not walk throughout your entire life that way? Like being on the same side with other people. Well, I tend to do that, but I can't necessarily tell everyone else they should. <laughs> but I, but I think that's, I mean, there's, there's a lot to that. And I have a lot of clients who will say, look, I use the same philosophy in conversations with my kids, with my spouse, yeah. with, with friends, where it's all about, look, you know, where can I help and where can't I help? And it, do I have a fit or don't I? And rest assured, there are certain issues. It's like, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the most polarizing topics in the world, is, or at least in the United States, is um, pro-choice versus pro-life positions that people mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. on abortion, and it's funny because our daughter is pretty pretty vocal, or not pretty vocal, but pretty active in in how she views the world because she's seventeen and that's her job. And so, <laughs> and and so, without getting into what her position is on this and her opinion, is I just said whatever your opinion is, what you need to realize is that somebody else has a totally valid opinion. That's completely so. contradictory to yours. That's true. And she'll say, well, their position isn't valid. I said, no, no. Their position isn't valid to you because you have a different worldview and different perspective on a foundational piece of this. Yeah. But if you understood why they feel that way, you would realize that, look, it's in what, what I say to her and anybody else is, look, there is nothing you're going to do that's going to change the the foundational values and beliefs those people have about that issue. Yeah. So, but if you understand what what the catalyst is, then you can say, okay, so now I understand why this is important. Now maybe I can find some middle ground around the fringes. But on the core issue, it's something that will I believe always be polarizing because people fundamentally have one belief or another that are diametrically opposed to each other. But if each side understands why the other one feels differently, then you might be able to have a conversation. I, yeah. mean, I, I don't have a high hope for that in our political world, but wouldn't it be nice? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would. And, and what it made me think of um, as you were talking about that was was like, what's the alternative that we experience to empathy? It, it's like the person with the most power wins. Yeah. Right. Pa- power wins, force wins instead of us all winning. I mean, yep. the, the idea with from an empathetic point of view is that is that we have a collective win versus a one sided win. And I guess part of that is it's the compromise aspect of we all win and we all might win a little bit less than we wanted to win. Hmm. And I don't believe in compromise. I believe in collaborate. Yep. You know that you're right. Compromise means we both take a little bit less than I wanted than we wanted. But collaborate is a place where we found, you know, where one plus one equals three. Yep. And, and we couldn't have done it without each other. Yep. That, that's, I think, is the possibility that's held out when empathy exists. And when empathy doesn't exist, you're right. The best we can do is compromise and somewhat begrudgingly. Yep. And, and as always, you deliver amazing insight even though you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, Allison, what's the what's the best way? 
for people to get in touch with you and to learn more about the great things that you're doing at Learning in Action? Sure. They can go to learninginaction.com and check out the website there. Uh, they can catch me on Twitter at CEO Coach DC. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your brilliant ideas. And um, I just, every time I talk to you, I learn something new. And this was no exception to that. So um, just a, a, a great time. And now I have the wonderful challenge of summarizing all your input in a way that our audience can digest it. <laughs> <laughs> good, luck, good luck with that because I recognize it was kind of all over the place. <laughs> it was all good. All right, Allison. Thanks so much. Oh, it was fun. Thanks a lot, Ian. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key takeaways I think you can use from Allison's message. And before I do that, I just want to thank those of you who take the time to subscribe and share this with friends and colleagues. It really means a lot. And, of course, let me know if there's a guest or a topic you'd like me to cover. So here are those quick 30-second recaps. First, remember that there's a big difference between an adversarial and an empathetic response. And most of this has to do with our emotional intelligence under stress. So how do you fix it? Well, Allison, give us five simple steps. First, empathy starts with yourself, so fill your own joy bucket. Then practice empathy by noticing and labeling your own feelings. Then we want to develop the skills of understanding the emotions of others. We want to communicate those effectively and then validate how other people are feeling rather than just critiquing. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover... If there's a guest you want me to have on, just fire me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer. <laughs>